Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Mark 6, beginning with verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Royce, and I'm one of the elders here at Hill City. And over the last few weeks, my family has been caught up in March Madness. So, yes, several weeks ago, the brackets got released. Each one of us, we filled out our bracket. We watched the first round. We watched the second round. And then we threw our brackets in the trash because they were worthless. Um, And so then we decided, you know what, we're just going to pick a team and cheer for them. So that's what we did. We pick a team, we pulled for them, and they immediately lose their next game. That's all right. That's okay. We'll just pick another team. So we pick another team, we cheer for them, they immediately lose their next game. So we are now on our seventh team in this tournament. But the championship game's tomorrow, so maybe we've got a chance. Maybe we've found a winner. But two weeks ago, the team we were cheering for was Arkansas. Yeah, (laughs) and Arkansas had just pulled off this big upset of Kansas. And after the game, we're watching this post-game interview, and it's like, oh, man, this is awesome. This this post-game interview is a glimpse at what makes this tournament so special. Let's watch it. Oh, Debo was absolutely incredible. I feel like he's my son. I love this kid so much. Thank you. I love you too, Coach. Thank you, Coach. Mr. Davis. That man challenged you this year to be the best leader you could possibly be. You said it took you a little out of your comfort zone. Looking at it now, 
What do you think of that challenge? I don't know. Put in a lot of work. It's crazy. Oh no, it's crazy. I feel good. I'm glad we came out with the win. What makes you tear up? What are you thinking about? Just putting in the work. This team is struggling. And we we figured it out. And I'm glad we did at the right time. And hopefully we continue to do it. You earned it. You enjoy every second of this, young man. Thank you. Congratulations. So the first thing Devo Davis says is, I love you too, coach. And then the interviewer says, she says, that man challenged you this year to be the best leader you could possibly be. And as he starts to think about that, you know, he starts to tear up, he breaks down, and he can hardly get any words out. All he can say is like, man, we put in a lot of work, put in a lot of work. And I think he's just thinking back to all that work he put in to become the leader his coach knew he could be. And I think there's probably a lot of reasons he put the work in, but I think probably one of the biggest reasons is that he trusted his coach. And that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, that takes time. Devo's a junior at Arkansas, so he's known his coach for three years. And I think he's grown to know his coach, and he's grown to love his coach. But that kind of relationship, it takes time. To love someone, you have to know them first. Jen Wilkin puts it this way. She says, the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. And in Mark 6, we come to this crucial fork in the road where Jesus is after people's hearts. He is laser focused on these two things, these two goals. He wants his people to know him and to love him. And not in a self-serving way, but in a self-giving way. And what we're going to see today is that for him to help us to know him and love him is actually the best thing he could do for us. And so to do this, Jesus takes his friends to what is referred to as a desolate place. This phrase, desolate place, comes from the Greek word aremos. Aremos, it, it means deserted or isolated or solitary. In other places, it's translated wilderness. So Jesus, he's going to take us to this wilderness. But before we get there, let's talk about where we've been. So a few weeks ago, Jesus calmed a storm. And after he calmed the storm, this is what he said. He said, have you still no faith? What he's basically saying is, do you still not know me? And the disciples respond like this. They say, who then is this? They're basically admitting, yes, we don't know who this is. But what a great question. They say, who then is this? And this is the exact question Jesus wants them asking because he knows they need to find the answer. And then last week, the disciples were sent out by Jesus on a journey. And so today, we pick up the story with the disciples getting back from this trip, and we'll pick it up in verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So the disciples just did something they had never done before. They go on this trip, and Jesus gives them the authority to cast out demons and heal people. 
So they had never done this before, but they go on this trip. They're sent out two by two. They cast out demons and they heal people. And I imagine this had to be exhilarating. Like, man, they're casting out demons, healing people. Never done that before. They want to come back and tell Jesus all about it. It reminds me of when I pick up my kids from summer camp. You know, they've just been at camp. They've just done all these new things. They get in the car and they want to tell me all about it. It's like, man, we did the zip line. We did the ropes course. They had this dock tower. I jumped off the dock tower into the lake. It was freezing cold water, but I didn't care. It was awesome. And so I imagine the disciples are telling similar stories to Jesus. Like, man, you should have been there. It was awesome. But when I pick up my kids from summer camp, it's about five to ten minutes of talking And then it like becomes strangely quiet and I look in the back seat and they're asleep. Because doing these new things, it's not just exhilarating, it is also exhausting. And that's where the disciples are. Verse 31 tells us, many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. The disciples had been surrounded by people busy and there are times they don't even get a chance to eat. But now finally they're back with Jesus. And Jesus knows just how they feel. And Jesus says something that is music to their ears. This is what he says. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. It's like he's saying, man, I know you guys have been working hard. Let's get away from everyone. Let's get away from everything. And let's just take a little break. And I imagine the disciples are like, Jesus, that is a great idea. Yes, let's do that. And so... It says, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So what could go wrong, right? Well, Mark goes on. He says, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So this is exactly what the disciples didn't want. I imagine them seeing the crowds and just like, oh. Like, they can't hide their disappointment. Like, seriously, I thought we had just got away from everyone. So now the disciples, they're not just exhausted. Now they're frustrated. And I wonder if you've ever been there. You know, maybe it's a busy day and you're just really tired. And you look around and you find that the house is empty. And you're like, oh, man, I might be able to sneak in a power nap right now. And maybe you even let yourself get a little bit excited about it. You're like, I'm going to find my special chair, and I'm just going to take a nap. And so you're like, I'm just going to rest my eyes. And as soon as you close your eyes, boom, it gets interrupted. And you're like, no, you can't hide your disappointment. You're frustrated. So this is me a lot, maybe more than I would like to admit. Um, At the end of the day, I just, I'm tired. I want to put the kids to bed, and I want to rest. But inevitably, especially on those days, it feels like those days I'm most exhausted. As soon as I put them to bed, one of them immediately gets out of bed. And I am frustrated. And, so, and sometimes it's not just a hard day. Sometimes it's a hard season. So I remember talking to my wife a few weeks ago. It was, it was just kind of a busy week at work, not the normal like punch the clock kind of a week where I can just go, go to work and leave it at work. It was a little bit more than that. And so I was talking with her and I said something like, man, wouldn't it be nice if I could just go to work and come home and we just spend time together as a family? Like, wouldn't it be nice if life was a little bit simpler? You know, no extra meetings to go to, no uh, late night 
phone calls to make, no hard conversations to have. Man, like, that would be nice. And she said something like this. She, she said, uh, I think God has more in mind for you than that. And here in Mark, we come to a place where the disciples are exhausted and frustrated, and they might be thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just rest for a little while? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just get away from all the people? And Jesus knows it. He sees them. He knows exactly what they want. But he has more in mind for them than that. So let's read on. When, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So when Jesus goes ashore, he sees a crowd. But he doesn't just see a crowd or or, or worse, he doesn't see a nuisance or a problem. He sees sheep without a shepherd. And his heart goes out to them. He has compassion on them. And this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is interesting because we actually see it a lot in the Old Testament. And every time we see it, it refers to a time where a king is either absent or not doing their job. So this refers to a leaderless or a kingless people. And this is what Jesus sees. He looks at the crowd and he says, man, they don't have a leader. They don't know their king. And because of this, like the disciples, the crowd is restless, they're weary, and Jesus sees it. He sees their exhaustion. He sees their frustration, and he has more in mind for them. He knows it's time to introduce them to their king. So in his Jesus way, with great care and patience and love, he begins to teach the people. But the disciples don't really like this idea very much because they see what's happening here. This is like, man, I thought we were going to rest. And they see their rest time just slipping away. It says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. It's like they're saying, remember your idea about getting away from everyone and everything? We liked that. But now we're running out of time. They say, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. What they would like to do is let's just get rid of all the people and then we can get some rest. So Jesus, in his Jesus way, with great care and patience and love, he begins to teach the disciples. And he says something that we're just going to kind of stick in our back pocket for now. We're going to come back to this later. But this is what he says. He says, you give them something to eat. He says, you give them something to eat. And I imagine for the disciples, this is the last thing they wanted to hear. They're like, seriously, come on. This is rest time. Feeding 5,000 people, that actually sounds like a lot of work. And so they make excuses It says, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? What they're basically asking here is, do you really want us to drop like 10 to 20 grand on food to feed these people? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And at this point in Matthew's account, Jesus says, bring them here to me. 
So let's recap just this last part of the conversation here. Jesus says, what do you have? The disciples say, next to nothing. And Jesus says, perfect. Bring it to me. So what's happening here? What's going on? Well, what's happening is Jesus sees the disciples' hearts. And he knows they're not just in a desolate place physically. They're in a desolate place spiritually. And so you might be thinking like, ah, really? You think so? Like they were just uh, casting out demons. They were just healing people. Are they really in a desolate place? Well, let's look at it. Let's compare the disciples with Jesus. So let's look at this situation. We're going to look at their response to this situation in three ways. We're going to look at how they view the people, what question they ask, and are they helpful? So we're going to see how they view the people, what question they ask, and are they helpful? And we'll start with the disciples. So how did the disciples view the people? So the disciples see the crowd, right? And what do they say? They see these three words, send them away. And why would they say that? And that's because they see the people as a problem. They want to rest. And and they see the people and they're like, man, the people won't let us rest. The people are a problem. Send them away. And then let's look at Jesus. So Jesus, he sees the same crowd, the same group of people, but he doesn't see a problem. He sees sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on them because he sees the people as people and he knows it's time for them to meet their king. And then let's look at the question they asked. So what did the disciples ask? They said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Do we need to really drop 10 to 20 grand to feed these people? And did they have 10 to 20 grand? Probably not. So what's happening here in the disciples' hearts? You can almost feel it. There's like this anxiety. There's this restlessness. It's like, how are we going to do this? And so in their confusion, in their restlessness, in their panic, all they can see is what they don't have. They're focused on what they don't have. And then let's look at the question Jesus asks. He says, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? He says, go and see. And you can almost feel it in his tone and what he says, that he's, he's coming at this situation from a place of peace because he knows exactly what they need and he's going to help them find it. He's pointing them to what they need and what they have. So finally, are they helpful? So the disciples, they're over here. They see the people as a problem and they're panicked. They only see what they don't have. So it's kind of like this. It's like arms folded. They don't know how to help. They're unable to help. And then Jesus is over here. He's seeing people as people. He knows exactly what they need. And it's like his arms are wide open and he's eager to help. And so I wonder, you know, where do you see yourself? You know, are you over here on the Jesus side of things where you're seeing people as people, you know exactly what they need, you're eager to help? Or are you over here maybe on the disciples side of things where you see maybe people as problems, you see what you don't have, and you are unable to help, you're stuck? Well, 
Earlier, I talked about how my kids get out of bed a lot, right? So when they get out of bed, oftentimes I find myself over here. And I, and I see my kids, they're coming to me, they're coming for help. They're like, man, I can't sleep or whatever it is. And I see my kids as a problem. And what am I focusing on? I'm focusing on what I don't have. I want to sleep. And here you are, not letting me do that. And so I am completely unable to help them. And the truth is, this is a trap. It's a trap. And Satan loves it when we find ourselves over here. Because we can get stuck over here and it truly is a desolate place. And Satan wants to keep us there. But it's a trick. Being over here, it's a trick. It's a lie. We find ourselves over here when we forget about our king. And what we do is we find ourselves in this desolate trap of self. We're just looking right here. Self-focus, self-pity, self-justification, and ultimately self-destruction. And Brad said it last week, the answers aren't over here. If we find ourselves stuck over here, we're not going to find the answers by looking inside ourselves. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. So if you find yourself over here kind of stuck in this trap of self, you can look to Jesus. Look up. Look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. David puts it this way. He says, my eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. As much as I want to get myself unstuck out of this trap, I can't do it. Only he can set me free. And in his great love for us, he sees us. He sees us when we're over here and he pursues us. He sees us stuck in this trap of self and he doesn't see a problem. He sees his sheep. And he knows exactly what we need. And he is eager to help. So the disciples, the disciples saw the problems. You know, they're tired, they're hungry, there's people everywhere. But what they didn't see is Jesus. And then Jesus tells them to bring the bread and the fish to him. And I don't know exactly how this happened, but this is how I picture it. They bring the bread and the fish to Jesus and they finally look up. And they look into the face and the eyes of their king. And he's not scolding them. He's not condemning them. He's not shaking his head at them. They just look into this face and these eyes of love. And it's like he's saying to them, I know. I know. I know you don't know what to do, but I do. And we can do this together. And what could be better than that? So the disciples bring the loaves and the fish to Jesus. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. 
And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. So even in a desolate place, all eat and are satisfied. This next to nothing becomes more than enough with Jesus. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And this is crazy. You know, five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 men, probably more than double that with women and children. And not only that, then there's 12 baskets of leftovers. How is this possible? Like, how can this happen? Or maybe a better question, who then is this? This is the question Jesus wants his disciples to wrestle with. And so he sends them off in a boat to think about it. And this time he's not in the boat with the disciples. He goes up to a mountain to pray, and then he comes down and meets them later. And it says, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And it's like, seriously, man, these disciples cannot catch a break. So they go from one desolate place to the next. The wind is against them? Really? Like, why does the wind have to be against them? And I think that maybe it's because Jesus has even more in mind for them. It says about the fourth watch of the night. So the middle of the night, the darkest time of night, this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. What happens? It says, he came to them walking on the sea. Jesus comes to them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So this is their king. He's coming to rescue them, but they don't recognize him. But Jesus, he immediately speaks to them and says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And in Matthew's account here, Peter sees Jesus and he asks him if he can come out onto the water and, and meet him. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter, he, he steps out of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus and he is walking to Jesus. And I imagine in this moment, Peter is experiencing it. He's feeling what it is to know and love Jesus because he's got his eyes locked in on Jesus. And there's just this peace that is washing over him and this rest and this joy. But then he starts to notice the wind and he starts to notice the waves and he starts to sink. And I can relate to this. I can relate to Peter here. There are times that I feel like I'm experiencing what it is to really know and love Jesus, to like have my eyes fixed on him. And it's joy and it's peace and it's rest. But then I start to look around me. I get distracted. Doubt creeps in and I start to sink. But when Peter started to sink, what happened? Jesus reaches down and he pulls him up out of the water. And the same is true for us. When we have this doubt, when we start to sink, we can look up and what will we see? We will see Jesus reaching down, ready to pull us up. And after Jesus pulls Peter up, he says something in interesting. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So did you catch what he said there? So last time they're in a boat and there's a storm 
Jesus says, have you still no faith? But here, there's a boat, there's a storm, and Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. So that's not much, but we're going to call that progress. This, this is progress for the disciples. They went from no faith to little faith. The disciples are starting to figure this out. They're getting to know Jesus. So we're going to go back to Mark. And we come to this strange verse in verse 52. It's maybe a little bit unexpected. This is what it says. It says, uh, talking about the disciples, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So what does this mean? It means, you know, they're making progress, but they still have some work to do. They still don't understand about the loaves. And it's not just the disciples. The crowd is the same way. They don't understand about the loaves. And so in John 6, we see Jesus explain about the loaves. So in John 6, we see this same story, but then he tells us what happens after. So what happens next? So Jesus and the disciples, they cross the water. Uh, and they, So they get across the water, and the crowds are like, whoa, where'd they go? Where's Jesus? And so they're looking everywhere. Finally, they cross the water. They finally find Jesus, and they're like, yes, all right, more bread, please. And so this is what they say. They say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're talking about this manna in the wilderness. And the word for wilderness here is aramos. The same word that, that was used to talk about where Jesus just did this miracle. So, so what, what we see here is God gave their fathers bread in the wilderness and Jesus just gave them bread from heaven in the wilderness. But now Jesus wants them to take it one step further. He tells them they actually need a different kind of bread. He says you need bread for the wilderness of your heart. He says, listen, please listen. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. He's saying, you just ate bread in the wilderness. And if that's the only bread you get, you will die. But there's another bread. He says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And this is what Jesus has been driving at the whole time. This bread in the wilderness, it points to me. I am the bread of heaven sent to you in the wilderness. And this is a big statement for Jesus to make. This is the first I am statement of Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. And in saying this, he is saying, I am the I am. I am God. And I am here for you to know me and to love me. And this is very divisive. Many people walk away from Jesus right here. Some of them, I think they're discouraged. They're like, so no bread then? Like, I, so we're not going to have any more bread? Okay, well, we're done. So, so they misunderstand Jesus, and, and they walk away. And then others, they understand what he's saying, and they're offended. 
They're thinking, you're claiming to be God? No, thank you. And so after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And what a question. I mean, this is it. This is the question. Do you want to go away as well? He's saying, do you want to know me? Do you want to love me? Or do you want to do life without me? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So it finally clicks for Peter. He realizes who Jesus is and what this means. He is the king. He is the one. Nothing else works. Nothing else satisfies. There's nowhere else to go. There's no other hope but him. And what's interesting here is what Peter and the disciples have just gone through is really similar to what God's people went through in the wilderness in the Old Testament. So let me tell you what I mean. So so God sets his people free from slavery in Egypt. And then he takes them through this wilderness and eventually brings them to the promised land. But right before they enter the promised land, Moses wants to tell them something. He wants them to think about their time in the wilderness and what God did for them. In Moses' words, it almost sounds like he's talking to Peter and the disciples. This is what he says. He says, talking about God, and he humbled you and let you hunger. He's saying he led you to a desolate place because he had more in mind for you. And then it says, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. So this word manna, it really, the word literally means like, what is this? He fed you with this thing. You didn't know what it was. And what are the disciples saying about Jesus? They're saying, who is this? Why did he do this? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That he might make you know the real bread, the true bread of life. Jesus had a reason for taking them through this desolate place. And that reason was that they might know him. If you'll be serving communion, you can go ahead and get ready to serve. So this reminds me of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. So Johnny is this uh, artist and author um, who became paralyzed from the shoulders down in a diving accident when she was 17 years old. And she talks a lot about this and she writes a lot about this, about how it was such a hard and confusing time for her and how hard it was for her to adjust to life being paralyzed and all the questions she had and the doubts that she had because she was going through this desolate time physically and this desolate time spiritually. And in one of her books, she writes, My affliction has stretched my hope, made me know Christ better, increased my faith, and strengthened my character. 
being in this wheelchair has meant knowing him better, feeling his pleasure every day. So for Johnny, you know, in this desolate place of quadriplegia, chronic pain, she found the bread of life. And because of these hard times, she knows Jesus even better and she feels his pleasure even more. So if you're in a desolate place today, know this. Jesus sees you. And what he wanted for the disciples, what he wanted for the crowds, is the same thing he wants for us, that we might know him and love him. This is the greatest gift God can give us, for us to know him and to love him. Because when you know him and you love him, you come alive. You become the person you were always meant to be. You live the life you were always meant to live. So what did Jesus tell the disciples? Do you remember? We're going to go to our back pocket. What did Jesus tell them? He said, you give them something to eat. He tells them to feed the sheep. And later, after Jesus had died and rose again, he meets with Peter and he asks him the same question three times. He says, do you love me? And Peter answers back, Lord, you know everything. You know me. We know each other. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You give them something to eat. Give them the bread of life because you know me and you love me. Feed my sheep. So wherever you are today, the good news is he sees you. He knows exactly what you're going through and he is eager to help. He invites us to look up into the loving face of our King and remember that he is all we need. He is the bread of life. Let's pray.